Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk again about the Kingdom of God. And... uh I was running around trying to figure out uh, exactly what the topic should be. And I've got lots of things lined up that we ought to talk about. But I haven't quite finished some of the research that I've been working on. Uh, As many of you know, I've written articles on the altars of Abraham and the altars of Moses. Written a lot of uh, chapters and articles on that subject. And it's my contention that... uh, the altars were always living altars. The same word for a gathering of stones is a gathering of men. A council of friends, specifically. And uh, what makes men friends with one another is that they care about one another. And that's what these altars were. They were living stones from the beginning. They were uh, systems of social welfare where large groups of families could come together and make sure that they were helping one another out. Now, certainly you can, you know, if you don't see the little old lady across the street show up or take her garbage out and the newspapers are accumulating on her front step, you might go over there and knock on the door and call the cops and go in there and find her dead body. Uh, because... Nobody was really checking on her. They're kind of checking on her, but not really checking on her. (laughs) And uh, that doesn't make for a good society. What made America great uh, and many other countries throughout history great is that the people actively worked at their personal concern and care for their neighbors. And the only way to practically do that is designate uh, people to gather in small groups. And the heads of each of those groups is not a ruler, but he's a servant. And he makes sure that everybody shows up when they're supposed to show up to do whatever it is they think they ought to be doing. In other words, they check in on them. It's like the buddy systems times times ten. And in order for somebody to take out the time to check up on, you know, nine or ten other families and connect those nine or ten other families with a hundred other families, that's going to consume some of his time and energy that he could devote totally to himself and his family. And so he needs to be supported in that effort. And you need to find out who will actually do that job. You know, a lot of churches, I know some churches have had some rollovers in uh, ministers on a pretty regular basis. Or at least, actually, probably should have been more regular because they, they took a long time before they replaced one of their ministers. He was not very good at waiting on people. He was good at making giving a sermon and he would take all week. He was paid. He was given a house to live in. And... Uh, he very seldom went around and checked on the individuals who came to his church. He spent most of his week getting ready for the sermon. 
And that was it. Whole week he devoted to getting, it was paid. He didn't have to do any other job. He didn't have to work out doing anything else. He was paid to get ready for that sermon. And yet, now, he did go and he visited one of the people that went to that church for years and was dying of cancer and had uh, tubes and everything else. And um, uh, they were, uh, several people came by to visit and he went with those people to visit him. And uh, they needed to check one of his bandages and the guy wouldn't do it. He made one of the women check the bandage. And, uh, cause he wouldn't do it. He was totally inept at actually caring about other people. He cared about himself. He wouldn't even take care of the garden that they had put in, uh, by the house that they gave him rent free. And he says, well, I don't have time to do that. Well, what are you doing? This is a little small town church. There's hardly anybody in this church. Uh, you know, compared to, you know, big churches with five, six hundred people or a thousand people. He didn't have that kind, you know, the town only had 300 people in it. And so, uh, and of course the church had people coming from outside of town because it's a rural uh, farming community, but they didn't have hundreds and hundreds of people that he had to take care of. But uh, he was just terrible at it. He didn't understand the ministry at all. He thought the ministry was getting everybody to listen to him in the pulpit on the weekend and feel like they were good Christians by the end of that sermon. And everybody shake his hand and smile because he's a minister. But he isn't a minister. Provided no service, no social welfare, nothing. Yet people go to those churches and they think they're going to a church established by Jesus Christ. While the early church was rightly dividing the bread from house to house, that bread was the welfare bread needed to survive in the world that was hostile to living by faith, hope, and charity. And we see that hostility rising up, the progressive socialists rising up in societies all around the world, wanting, it. you know, the, the right to bear arms is the right to be able to protect your neighbor from home invasions, from anything that might come and try to destroy your neighbor. But it, that right also includes the right to help take care of your neighbor when he falls off a ladder, when he gets hit by a car, when he, when he, when he loses his job and can't find another one. You're supposed to be helping your neighbor out. If you don't do that, you say that's the job of government and the government is a group of men who exercise authority one over the other. They're not your friend. They are authoritarian rulers. And that is the difference between the altars of Abraham and your altars. Because your altar is not where you go get a crumb of bread that you call the Eucharist, which you think the body of Christ is in, which is an absolute total delusion. The body of Christ is in love. It is when God is writing upon your heart and upon your mind. And that's not New Testament. That's Old Testament. You were supposed to have God writing on your hearts and your mind. And if he was... You'd care about your neighbors. There's only about 10% of the people who actually go to church that really go out of their way to care about their neighbor. And they're not even really that good at it because they don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't understand the gospel of John the Baptist. 
And they don't understand the gospel of Moses and Abraham. Because they had good news too. They had good news that you could love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Moses said. You go to Proverbs. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thy ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, searchest for her as a hid treasure, then thou shalt understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom out of the mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Well, you're telling me that the God who had that written in Proverbs wants you to pile up stones and kill sheep and set them on fire so that hit the smoke of the burnt offering will go up into the nostrils of God and he will be pleased? You're delusional. That's a delusion. I'm not supposed to attack your delusion, but there isn't much time left for some of you. You need to wake up and realize those altars always, always were living stones. Which is why one of the largest, most popular religious groups at the time of Jesus Christ, which was still a minority of the people, you can hardly even call uh, some of the people in in Jerusalem, religious. <laughs> they certainly, well, they, they, they believed in public religion. They didn't believe in, in, in a spiritual religion. They didn't, they believed that when you died, you were just dead. We recently had a, a famous physicist who died who believed that there was no God. Well, now he gets to find out if there was or not. And he can turn his theory into fact. But the reality, there is a God. It's not like the God that you probably imagine in your head. He's not subject to your imagination. But there is a divine intelligence that runs through all of creation. And if you follow in the ways of that divine intelligence, life will be abundant in you. But if you follow in another way, contrary to the ways of God, that thing we call God, that divine intelligent we call God, or Yahweh, or Yadivah, whatever it is that created all this and made all this make so much sense. That, that's the first sign that you, you know somebody is going to become an atheist when they said that, that the world doesn't make any sense. It makes perfect sense, but you have not inclined your ear to wisdom. <laughs> Chances are you're a socialist. You think you should hire men who will exercise authority over your neighbor to force them to contribute to your welfare. When Abraham, Moses, John the Baptist, and Jesus Christ said you were not to do that. You were to love one another. To care about one another. Care enough to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. That's what you're supposed to be doing. 
You're not supposed to be going to church and dressing up and pretending to be a Christian. You know, Proverbs 2.10 goes on to say, When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul. Well, when is that going to happen? Because I'm giving you knowledge that your your preachers, if they think that Abraham and Moses were piling up stones, killing sheep, and setting them on fire to make God happy, your ministers and preachers are delusional. They They did not. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. And like I said, that religious group at the time of Jesus Christ, the Essenes, would have nothing to do with blood sacrifice of sheep on altars of stone and fire. They would have nothing to do with that. And and they studied the Torah. They read the Torah. They spoke the language. They didn't depend upon the Septuagint. They could probably read the Greek, many of them. But they didn't participate in that. They did the Passover, but that was just dinner. They just cooked that sheep and ate it. With as many friends and family that they could gather into one house. That's what Passover was. And everybody did it that Passover night. And when Jesus picked up a piece of bread and began the meal by dipping it in the vinegar, the sop, they call it. He said, this is my body and this is my blood. And you imagine he's talking about bread and wine. Did you know that when you fix that lamb for Passover, you had to keep it whole? You roasted it whole, one whole lamb. You did not cut it up and then pass it out to the poor in some other location. You had the poor in your house. See, the Muslims, they, they, they have that. They know they have to have a feast where they kill a lamb and they cut up that lamb and they take the meat and they can't eat of that meat until some of that meat is delivered to the poor. But Passover, you got to have the poor in your house. <laughs> That's what that was all about. So there was no separation of the poor and the wealthy. You had to bring them into your house and feed them all night long. And you had to have enough to eat that whole lamb because that lamb had to be roasted whole. Why is that? Is this just some mindless ritual? And you were supposed to take the blood of that lamb and put it on your doorpost. And that's symbolic. It's a metaphor. You're putting that blood on your doorpost. It isn't, it isn't about the ritual. It's about what it stands for. Bringing that poor into your house, bringing your neighbors into your house, and doing this in every single house that is a part of this network of people called Israel who live by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty rather than force, fear, and violence. You go to your churches. You say your prayers. Is God even going to hear you? 
when you have the blood of the innocent on your hands. And in, in, because the same people that provide you with your social security check send a check to Planned Parenthood and advocate bombing in other countries, forcing other people. I've been doing a study and I haven't finished it yet. It's on Deuteronomy where it talks about flogging people and uh, giving them 40 stripes. And when I go back to the original Hebrew and break down every word and every letter in that, um, in those verses, I can't find anywhere where it mentions flogging <laughs> or whips or stripes or any of that. I cannot find that in there. It's it's not in the original Hebrew text. I go back to the Rishi commentaries uh, where... He says, oh yeah, that's what it means. It means the flog. Yet the, the word that they're using there for flog is not translated flog anywhere else in the Bible. <laughs> it's translated kill. That sometimes it's translated lots of other different ways. Well, the amazing thing is, is that, you know, when, when I first started studying the Hebrew, I would look at concordances and it would say, oh, this is this word and this is that word and this is that word. And you would look up those words and it was always based on this three-letter word. Except for seldom is it actually the three-letter word that they're translating there. It's often a four or five or six or seven-letter word. Because the original author was adding, but it has one Strong's number, even though it appears sometimes 500 different ways. The same word appears 500 different ways. In other words, there's combinations of letters that produce 500 different combinations for that one word. And that one word is said to appear 500 times, but actually those three letters that they're talking about may only appear 12 times. Every other time it appears in the the biblical text, it has an additional letter or two letters or three letters. And it changes the arrangement of it and takes out some of the third, uh, some of the original three letters. And they still call it the same word. They may translate it 15 different ways. So you think, oh, well, that's it. That's why they take a word in one place it's slaughter, another place it's kill, another place it's flog. Because they change that letter. No, no pattern there. (laughs) No, they don't do it that way. That's not what they're doing. You've gone to the people who crucified Christ or their descendants or their, you know, their students. I'm not picking on the Jews. I'm just saying because the Christians are just as delusional as they are. Now, you can go out amongst the Jews today and you will find people not far from the kingdom of heaven. And you can go out amongst the Christians and you may find people that are not far from the kingdom of heaven in their hearts and in their minds. They're not being taught what the kingdom of heaven is, but they're not far from it. But many claim to be Christians, claim to be followers of Yahweh. And they are not. And they are not doing what Yahweh said and what Jesus said or what Moses said or what Abraham said or tried to do. They're not doing that. They're not taking care of one another 
with altars of faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. They're doing something else entirely different. In Proverbs 3, 1, it says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. This is what Jesus was saying. This is Proverbs. This is Old Testament. This is what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying that the law had to be written in your heart. Jeremiah said the same thing. It's nothing different. It's the same God. It's the same message. He didn't do away with killing sheep and laying them on stones and setting them on fire. He did away with the false interpretation of the Pharisees who didn't even recognize who Christ was and what Christ was talking about when he was standing right in front of them. Because they were all caught up in their religion. Just like this little church was all caught up. They hired a minister. He wasn't ministering to anybody. If they needed any welfare, if they needed any social security to take care of their parents or anything, they just went to a government. And that government was not giving them the money that they paid back, you know, that they had paid in, giving it back to them. It was borrowing against the future of your children. You all know that. You all know that that's what the government does. Is they borrow against the future because they're all operating in the red. They borrow against, they curse your children with the debt that you incur because you want benefits now at the expense of your children and grandchildren. I won't take those benefits. I paid into them too, just like you did for years and years and years and years, but I won't take them. Because I'm trying to show you what the, a minister of God really is. And I'm called a cult. Do you know what the imperial Roman cult was? There's a reference to that. We have an article about it. And you can go look it up. Imperial Roman cult was you signed up at the Roman government temples. And then you were eligible for the free bread of Rome. And they even included health care in that for a number of years. And at one time, they went to universal health care. They didn't do that until they were already bankrupt. But then again, you didn't do that until you were already bankrupt. You're the cult. You go to these churches that tell you you're saved because you said the magic words. Tell you you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be a doer of the word. You just say you're a doer of the word and you're automatically saved by the power of your own words. That is insane. That is false. That's why many are coming in the name of Christ, but they don't know Him. But anyway, we're going to take a couple of turns here. And we're going to look at some things that I don't always tell you. And uh, we'll see if you're, you can handle the truth. But we'll do that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Said we'd take a little bit of a turn here and look at, at things differently, but understanding 
some basic thing. I mean, there's so many things. People don't understand what religion is. Religion is how you take care of the needy of your society. Pure religion is to do it unspotted by the world. What world? Cosmos, which means constitutional order or system of government. In other words, you're, you're taking care of the needy without government. There is a, there's hardly a church out there that I have walked into that practices pure religion. Every single one of them takes care of the needy of their society through their government. Through social security, welfare, everything from unemployment on. And they, and in order to, to receive such benefits, you've got to have a number. If you're in South Africa, you got to have a number. If you're in Santa Domingo, you got to have a number. If you're in the United States or Canada or Great Britain or Australia or wherever you're at in China, you got to have a number. And that number is issued to you by a government that exercises authority one over the other. That is the mark of the beast. The beast, you want to see the beast? Look in the mirror. That's how the beast operates. He he awakens the beast in you, the desire in you to live at the expense of somebody else by force. You don't have to force them. You hired guys to do the forcing. You know, you hired guys to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare because you don't love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what socialism is all about. Communism is that, just with a different flag. (laughs) Got to have a flag. And, And that's what the imperial cult of Rome was. It was that, it was that system of forced contributions. And everybody can tell you, in history, that's what brought, brought Rome down. That's what made Rome not great anymore. Is <laughs> the fact that they forced, and, and, you know, we show you in history, Tacitus, Polybius, all these, uh, Plutarch, all these guys told you that it degenerates society. It turns them into savages fit for the first dictator that comes along. If you put into play a system that takes care of the needy of your society by force, that will destroy you as a society, as a people. What's the antithesis of that? Take care of the needy through charity. That is the gospel. That is, it's that simple. It's not complicated. Now, how, how are you going to take care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity if you will not sit down together in groups of ten, fifties, hundreds, and thousands? Because you have to have some, I mean, you could make it nines, uh, forty fives. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, 82s and thousands. I don't care. I, the, the number isn't that specific. The important thing is that you have an intimate network that is connected together where your minister is in a congregation of ministers. And so, therefore, every congregation of 10 is connected to nine other congregations of 10. And those hundreds are connected until they form thousands. And that way you are seeking, as you work at 
doing that, you are seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Because you're not doing it by force, you're doing it by charity. And that's what we are teaching people to do. It's completely voluntary. You have to, you know, I don't want to know what your credit card number is. (laughs) I have no interest in that. I want to know where your heart is at. And, 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 but if you won't sit down as Christ commanded, Jesus commanded, isn't that amazing? Jesus commanded that his disciples make the people sit down in company upon company, which is uh, 10 people, supposia, and ranks of 50 and ranks of 100. States that right in Mark. Mentions it in several of the other gospels. It's certainly all throughout the Bible that they were organizing this. All throughout history, that's the way free governments operated. In voluntary networks. But Christ actually used the word commanded. The only time he commanded his disciples to do something with that particular word, he commanded them to make the people do that or they weren't going to get any loaves and fishes. And I got people wanting loaves and fishes, wanting aid, wanting support because they need help. But they, for years, will not sit down in such a pattern. Now, I didn't, I didn't command that. I was commanded by Christ as a disciple, student, minister of Christ that I have to make the people sit down in that way. Now, I, what, what do I use to make? Do I use a gun? Do I use force? Do I use a whip? Do I flog them like they were trying to tell us in Deuteronomy? No. No, I have to do it by word. By telling you. So we tell you. And we write it down. And we write it into articles. And we show you what the words actually meant. What he actually said. And people read that. And they go like, I didn't know he said that. There it is. It's right in your text. Why didn't you see that? Why didn't your ministers in the churches you've been paying thousands and thousands of dollars in over years and years and years never told you you were supposed to do that? Because see, if they tell you that that's the way you're supposed to organize... They might not be sitting at the head of a 500-man church anymore. They would be minister. They would have to really live by faith. Now, they may still be paid if the people pay their minister and that minister ties up to you. Because each, think about this. If each minister, if each congregant actually tie 10% of what they produce every year to their minister who's working full-time at building this network that was called Kingdom. I remember a guy who thinks he understands the Bible and says, Jesus never mentioned network. Well, yeah, if you do if you, you do a search in your Bible concordance for the word network, you're not going to find the word network. But tens, hundreds, and thousands, that was network. That's how whole Israel was gathered together. The altars of stone. Abraham is creating an altar over here with these people. And he's creating altars over here with these people. And he's creating altars over here with these people. And then suddenly when the invading army comes through, taking out city-state after city-state, Abraham, who lives out as a Hebrew wanderer, decides to go and rescue his nephew. And all these other people that he has set up altars for, They say, we're going to come and join you. We're going to drop what we're doing. We're going to take up our swords and our spears and our shields. And we're going to run across the desert to gather up with you. 
and attack this army that just took out one city-state after another. And why are we doing that? Why are they willing to do that? They're not being attacked by that army. The army went for the city-states where there was a treasury, where there was a central treasury. They don't want to go out and get these people out there in the middle of nowhere or out in the desert. That's too much work. So why are these people all volunteering to help Abraham? Oh, we kill sheep together and set them on fire. That's why, huh? You think that really makes any sense at all? No, it's because those altars were systems of social welfare. So that if one village or one tribe was having a lot of trouble, the other tribes, because they were all networked together, would come to their aid. Because they all, and now here they are coming to the aid of Abraham, who helped them show them how to organize as a people where they would be immune to bands of robbers and thieves and even invading armies. You don't have that. You're not immune. You're entirely dependent upon your governments to keep you protected. How's that working out for you? Well, you think it's not working out really good? You just wait a few years. You're going to see how it's not working out at all. You're, you know, like South Africa is having problems because of the fact that a faction has taken over in that government and and are persecuting whites. And people will sit here in this country and they'll say, well, they deserve it. They have no idea the history of the nation of South Africa or the Boers. You know, I, I, I don't really know as much as I probably should. My great-great-uncle wrote an article, uh, not article, wrote a whole book about the Boers and the Boer Wars because he was in the Boer Wars. He was fighting against them (laughs) because he was on the Queen's side. But uh, still, he was in the midst of things. He also fought with Pancho Villa. (laughs) uh, Or at least he helped train some of Pancho Villa's troops many years later when he was an old man. But he also was a Canadian mounted police. But uh, he got around. He was a soldier of fortune. But the reality is, is you don't know what those histories were all about. You don't know your own history. We got this huge effort to try to demonize everybody in history that used to be considered our heroes. And the fact is that people have good and bad in them. They 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 have good ideas and bad ideas. Most of the bad ideas that have been implemented in the world today have been implemented by men who are pretty good men. The devil knows he's got to get good men to put his system in order, to put it into place. You know, bad men who are disinterested in themselves and and their own pleasure and everything, they're not going to get the job done. So he's got to infiltrate men in their mind and their thinking and get them to do what he wants done. Now, when I say the devil, now you may conjure up ideas of what the devil is. The devil is a, it's a, it's a spiritual idea and concept that rests in the hearts of people. And maybe in multidimensional spiritual creatures, because we live in a even that fellow who died recently, who uh, was this famous physicist, he tells you there are multiple dimensions. He believes that there are multiple dimensions. He just doesn't want to call them heaven and hell. 
he he doesn't want to because he doesn't want to believe in a god. You know, and when he was being, you know, more and more scientists, the proof that there is a God is actually, there's a great deal of scientific proof that there is a God. There is a God, divine, creative spirit that has put a pattern in creation. A pattern of life and abundance. And... And so science is actually proving this out, but people hate that. And but you know, when they first started coming up with the dimensional theory, and we talked a great deal about that, they were talking about multiple dimensions in which they believe people could actually be living in, and we might be able to communicate with those other dimensions. And they are spending billions of dollars in order to open doorways between those dimensions. And... Uh, but when you, and I won't go through it now, but you can go look at our, uh, listen to our other audios and articles on uh, the universe, the mysteries of the universe, and you can see for yourself. But they, as soon as it starts sounding like heaven, hell, and where we live, <laughs> they don't like that. They don't like that because they want to be atheists. They want to believe that, that you know, that one, one side, they're proving everything makes sense and fits together. And there's these laws of nature that everything kind of hooks together and brings about this life and all this stuff. But they want to believe that it's not caused by a God of creation. And so when uh, he was pressed about this issue... He finally said, well, yes, genetically, the, the idea that we all just came about by random sequencing of molecules and atoms and and genes and all this stuff, it was getting to be pretty far-fetched. That they were just the product of this random evolution. A spontaneous evolution. <laughs> I talked about spontaneous uh, disease, spontaneous uh Imbalance in hormones, spontaneous remission of cancers. You know, that's just when the science is saying, we don't know. <laughs> so it was spontaneous. But the reality is, is that he finally said, well, he believes that aliens intervened in our evolution. Well, who intervened in the evolution of the aliens? <laughs> so, and besides that, Jesus Christ is an alien. He's extraterrestrial. He's not from this place. <laughs> So, as the guy says, I'm not from around here. But uh, we imagine so much of what we want to believe is true. And like I was saying, we have an article, Imperial Cult of Rome. You can look at it at Preparing You. And uh, Rome identified emperors and some members of their families with the divinely sanctioned authority of the Roman state. And what, what, what was that Roman state doing? It was setting up these temples. And these temples were doing what? They had a system of Corban, Q-U-R-B-A-N, that uh, we see in the New Testament as C-O-R-B-A-N, which is originally a Hebrew word. And, uh, what it had to do with sacrifice. And that's what you did is you sacrificed at the temples. And what are the temples able to do then? Provide free bread for the people. And uh, social insurance for the people. This is what the temples were all about. Well, the 
there were number, some of the temples, because the temple is really a, was originally a location, but then they became buildings as the republic was moving away from being a republic to becoming a democracy, and uh, they uh, they uh, had this uh, system of uh, uh, taking care of the needy through the temples, but they also had like the Temple of Mineta actually was coining money. Because it's a government building. So if you went down to wherever you coin your money today, you could call that a temple. You know, if you're in Australia, I'm sure they have some some government building that coins their money. And they have another building that probably prints their currency. And, but that's probably a private temple. Because <laughs> uh, it's probably a Federal Reserve System. And... Uh, and that's what we have here in, in America today. There's a huge change in the last few years with this new money, which all has to do with the chain of command and authority. But Rome was doing the same things back then that you're doing, and Rome fell. So, you know, if you, you know, what is the, the if you do not learn from history, you are condemned to repeat its mistakes. Well, the the guy had a second thought to that. If if you do learn from history, you're going to have to suffer and watch other people repeat their mistakes. And of course, that's that's my lot. I I know what the mistakes are, and so we're trying to show you. We're trying to put it out there so that you could see it. But you're so caught up in your cult, you're so caught up in your um, normalcy bias. That you want to believe that what you guys are doing, that you're in control, that you understand this, that you're, you, you're, you have a genius system together and you're actually just repeating what they have done in the history past that brought about the destruction of Rome and that society. And your system of social welfare in every country from South Africa to Australia to Canada to the United States to San Domingo to Great Britain is fashioned after the Roman imperial cult. That's what they call it, a cult. And, you know, one of the characteristics, we have a whole articles on cults, separate from this, but one of the things about a cult is that once you get in, they don't want to let you out. Well, welcome to the Roman imperial cult. <laughs> they don't want to let you out. They want to bind you in. But if you would actually hear the good news and write God's laws upon your heart and start doing what Jesus told you to do, what he actually commanded his ministers to make you do before you get free loaves and fishes, if you would actually do that with striving and sincerity like the prodigal son heading home, then God would come out and meet you halfway and he would bring blessings to you. He would hear your cries. He would hear your voice. And he would protect you. Whether you were in South Africa or South Alabama. God would hear you individually. But of course you wouldn't be just individually doing it anymore because you would be gathering with other people. That's what we that's the basis of what we say. Now we, we, we can give you a lot of legal information. We have courses that we give away for free. Uh, we make them available for free, trying to show you how this translates into your modern world today. And we open it up 
for questions that you can ask, challenge us. But if you want to just sit back and know, we're just going to keep going with our normalcy bias, doing the same old, same old, and expecting a different result. Not even knowing history. Knowing that it was going to destroy you until you had a dictator. Who's going to dictate? You know, like in South Africa, they're taking the land away from the white farmers, which most of the farmers are white farmers. Uh, most of, uh, because of the fact that they know what they're doing now. There are black farmers that are beginning to learn some of these skills of farming in that, in that country. And, uh, but the idea, and they did this in Zimbabwe and they pretty near starved. Because the people didn't know how to run the farms. And besides that, that their mere idea of just taking away the land without compensation, that's a beastly sort of thing to do. You know, when the Boers came there, they they purchased a lot of the land they had. You know, most many of the tribes that are there, the powerful tribes that are there in South Africa, simply came from somewhere else and invaded and took over the lands. I mean, the... The Bushmen were out in the bush because they had to survive. Because they were driven out of all the other places that were <laughs> better places to live. Uh, because, and, and this is the same thing with everybody talks about the Indians in America. Like somehow or other the whites drove all the Indians out. And, and they look at, you know, I, I will admit that, uh, our, our view of history uh, from the European view of history towards the Indians is has been had bias on it, but the reality is that this new history is also biased because the Indians were killing each other on a regular basis, and we I can show you the stories. They were absolutely the bigger tribes were gobbling up the smaller tribes, stealing their land, stealing their women, stealing their children. And, and murdering them at a, at a rapid rate. Uh, and they had created ways in which to bring peace. You know, the great pine tree of peace in the five nations and eventually called the seven nations uh, was a system whereby they would not war and kill each other at the same rate that they had been doing. But by the time that was written down in English, and we have a web page on that that explains how that, they incorporated in their written interpretation of this beaded wampum explanation, because it was all done by images rather than with language. They had incorporated in that manifest destiny, where they any tribe that didn't go along with their agenda was absolutely destroyed, enslaved, annihilated. And they had written that in. Now, I don't necessarily believe that that was the original intent of, of Dagawandi and, and Hiawatha, not the Hiawatha in the poem. I mean, that's where he got the name, uh, who was the prophets who originally supposedly set up this system. I don't believe that was their original intent. But it's been lost to antiquity. Uh, unless, of course, you have access to other dimensions where you can go back in time and find out. But uh, the reality is, is that's the interpretation they ended up with, manifest destiny. And the destruction of anybody who didn't go along with their interpretation of the pine tree of peace. 
And because that was their accepted viewpoint, that's what happened to them. As you judge, so shall ye be judged. Now, they're complaining about the results of what they implemented upon their neighbor. When are you going to do the same? Or have you already done it? We'll be back and we'll make another shift. So, be there. So, in the last show, we were talking about uh, cults and the fact that you're in one already and that we're revealing that cult. So, immediately, we're accused of being a cult. Of course, uh, probably nothing fits the definition of a cult more than faith in Christ. But uh, the reality is is that we we can actually show you the logical design behind what Christ was saying. And how it it just makes sense. It's what Proverbs calls wisdom. And it talking about trusting in the Lord. Well, you have if you're going to trust in the Lord, you have to trust in the ways of the Lord. You can't be just saying you believe in the Lord, but not doing what He said to do, what He said to strive to do, what He said to persevere at doing. So trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not. Unto thine own understanding. And and some people see, listen to what we're saying and they say, that, that makes sense. And why does it make sense to them but to somebody else they, does it doesn't make sense? Is it because they understand? You have to, you have to give God credit. The reason you understand, if you do understand, is because God is giving you that information. So now what happens if you understand, but your spouse does not understand? That That's a common problem. So how do you go about that? Do you beat your spouse? Do you uh, nag your spouse? Do you, do you condemn your spouse? No. What did Christ do? He came to serve. And that's what you have to do. You have to serve in righteousness until your spouse realizes, wow, this is a spirit worth being a part of. You have to incline thine ear to wisdom and apply thy heart to the understanding that that wisdom gives you. And that, you know, people want to spread this intellectually, like you write it all out. Now, we've written a lot of stuff out. And we show you, but that is simply to pry you loose from that which is dragging you under. Get your hands off a sinking ship. Get your heart out of the bowels of a rotten vessel. And get you to start following the ways of Christ. Christ will do the saving. We're not going to save you. Christ will be the one who gives you the understanding. This, this anointing, this consciousness anointing that's what christ means is anointing you need your conscience anointed to receive the truth 
So he taught me also, it says in Proverbs 4.4, 4, and said unto me, Let thy heart retain my words, keep my commandments, and live. It has to be written in your heart and then in your mind. Not in your mind and then in your heart. Although sometimes that works too. But unless it's written in your heart, it doesn't matter what's in your mind. You will not be able to keep the commandments until they are written in your heart. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. That's Proverbs 4.21. Proverbs 4.23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You can't fake this. You can't say, well, I, I really don't love this way, but I'm going to do it. That's what Ananias tried. It, it is destructive. In Proverbs 5.12, and, and say, how have I hated instruction and my heart despised reproof? But in Revelations it says, as many as I love, I also rebuke. I am giving you a hard time. But it's not as hard as the time that is coming will be for you if you will not repent and seek that kingdom of God and His righteousness. So you have to completely turn around and go this other way. Now I wrote a article, I actually wrote it a long time ago, but I revised it a little bit and put some additional information in it. And I actually changed some of my interpretation of what these things are, and I, I show why in the article, because I'm learning too, and I'm open to criticism, which is why we have the Tuesday show, so you can, at the end of that, if anybody has any questions they want to bring up, and we give a few minutes at the beginning, we usually start five minutes after with, but if you want to be there five minutes before we start and ask some questions, there's your chance. And, you know, to, to, to challenge me and find out if what I'm saying is true. Where do I get this? Of course, we tell you, we show you, and we've got hundreds and hundreds of audio, so you can go in there and find out if I'm accurate or not. But it's, uh, I put out this article just to the network, and usually when I put out an article to the network, I look at it in the first so many hours, and there's maybe 50 people that will go to that page and read that article. I make a mark as to how many people are on, have gone to that page and then see how that changes in a certain period of time. And uh, I can tell how many people go to it. Well, if I put out an article on charity, about 50 people will go to it within the first several hours of of its appearance in the network. But I put out this one that says, pay tribute. We got over 300 people <laughs> to the article in the first few hours. And we haven't put it out to everybody yet. But evidently that caught their interest, to put the word tribute. If I said pay taxes, that probably could have got another couple hundred. Because <laughs> a lot of people don't know what tribute is. All the money that you pay into Social Security, that's tribute. All the money you pay in an income tax, that's tribute. There are other tributes that you pay, like if you want to, a tribute is usually a use tax. 
And so it's also a head tax. Tribute would be considered a head tax if there was an actual head tax that you had to pay. Uh, that would be considered tribute. Tribute is what you pay to a superior. And we have a whole article linked on in the page, pay tribute to the word tribute. <laughs> and where, where it comes from. It, it starts with render therefore to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due and custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. That's Romans 13.7. So is there tribute to pay in the kingdom of God? Do you have to pay tribute in the kingdom of God? Is there any accounting of where you were required to pay a tribute in the kingdom of God? Well, that's a good question. I mean, it's a government, the government of God. Aren't you required to pay a tribute? The second quote that I have on that page about tribute is is from um, Johann, Johann Goth, von Goth. Uh, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. <laughs> so anyway, you can apply that to anybody you want, because that's just about everybody you know <laughs> who thinks they're free and are not. Do you, is there such a thing as a government that has all voluntary taxes? Or almost all voluntary tax except for a minimal head tax? Did you know there was a head tax in Israel from the beginning instituted by God there was a uh, through Moses there was a head tax everybody had to pay that head tax once a year well i say everybody everybody within a certain status of people i mean babies didn't have to pay it slaves didn't have to pay it uh but the the people the heads of households they had to pay a head tax and how much do you think it was? And uh, what happened if you didn't have it? Does that mean you're out? Uh, you didn't have any money at all. You couldn't pay the tax. Does that mean you're out? Because it was actually required. And it was called a half shekel. That's how much it was. Which would be about a little bit, probably a little less than what you would call a dime today. But it was silver. A dime's worth of silver. And that was a head tax. And everybody was expected to pay that every year. That was the only required tax. Everything else was a tithe. You tithe to them according to their service. And that tithe means a tenth. It's not really a separate word. It means a tenth. And why a tenth? Because the people were already gathered in symposia in groups of ten. And so if you had 10 10 families had a minister and they gave that 10%, which we talked about in the last show to that minister, his mean income would be equal to the mean income of the 10 people, 10 families he served. So if he helped them become wealthier, more successful, have more income, more production, he's going to have more. Because he's going to get 10% of their increase. And so he's going to work like the Dickens to make sure their orchards are successful, that their lambs all live, that their children are numerous, that they're all healthy and hardworking and industrious and moral people who stay married. 
Did you know that the statistics show there is no difference between the permanency of marriage amongst Christians and non-Christians? They both have the equal amount of divorce. No difference. So what on earth is that all about? And that's that's including the Catholics, <laughs> you know, in the Christian group. And that's so you would think they they have a little bit lower divorce rate supposedly because they don't supposedly accept but divorce. But there's no difference. It's because Christians aren't really Christians. They, you know, th- th- their hearts are hard. That's why. Jesus says, Moses gave you divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. And you're still divorcing one another because of the hardness of your hearts. Because you're not really Christians. How in the world is God going to write upon your heart and upon your mind when your hearts are so hard and you don't love one another and you want your benefits even at the expense of your children and grandchildren? Even though the, the system you're paying into was bankrupt when you started paying into it. And every time they raise the debt ceiling, you curse your children that, that much more. And you're all happy because, oh, they solved the problem. The government was bankrupt. Now it's not bankrupt anymore. Yeah, it is. It's just farther into debt. Because they raised the debt ceiling. They forged new chains for your children. That's what they're doing. That's how it works. So anyway, so I wrote this article, Pay Tribute. I'm taking a look at this article, Pay Tribute. It's at Preparing You. And you can you can look it up yourself. There's a search engine on every page. But we're talking about this head tax, this half shekel, uh, which at the time that uh, there was this coin of tribute that supposedly Peter had to pay because he said my master paid it and if you go to Matthew 17:24-27 it says and when they were in Capernaum they that received the tribute money came to Peter and said doth not the, your master pay tribute he saith yes and when he was come into the house Jesus prevented him saying what thinkest thou Simon of of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers is what we see in the King James. The word there, strangers, is actually means another. That's actually what it means. Do, you, do they, the kings take tribute of their children or of another man's children? Not strangers as if we don't know them, but simply another man's children. Peter saith unto him of strangers, of another, of another man's children. Jesus saith unto him, then are the children free? Notwithstanding, lest we should, and then he goes on to say, notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast in thy hook and take up the fish that first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. This 
money, if you, if you look at the, the words there, actually in the Greek is the drachman. And, uh, that's a half shekel. Half shekel was the shekel of the sanctuary. That's what you had to pay. That was your ante up money to be in the kingdom. Now, originally there was no king in Israel, but they still had the half shekel. But once they had a king in Israel, he was to oversee this to make sure that, that the money changers, the porters of the temple, the gatekeepers who received this, these funds, did so and did not abuse this centralized amount of money. Now, most of the welfare in Israel was taken care of on a local basis, but this half shekel was going all the way up to the sanctuary. And that's really not very much, except when you get three million Israelites, then it starts adding up. So anyway, that's, that's what they're talking about. But that was tribute, that head tax, that was, that shekel of the sanctuary was called tribute. And they translate it as tribute. But it's not the only word that is translated tribute in the Bible. And so we have this other situation when when uh Jesus is you know these these guys going out there trying to entrap Jesus into saying that it is not lawful to pay the taxes to Caesar. They come up and and they they talk about it you know whether or not it's lawful to pay tribute to Caesar. Well, this is a different coin. This is not the half-shekel offering that we've seen before. Uh, when In his response, when and they say very clearly that he, they, are, they are trying to entrap Jesus into saying, and later on we'll see that they actually accuse Jesus of this... Uh, saying that it is not lawful to pay Caesar. Because now Caesar would gain paid. Now we've also told you how, why Caesar was there, you know, and, uh, Caesar came in as a worldwide peacekeeping force to help settle a civil war that was going on between Hyrcanus and Aristobulus. They, there was, Aristobulus ended up not having the legitimate claim. Hyrcanus had a more legitimate claim, but Hyrcanus was a brute and and had and people hated him because of his involvement with the Hellenist uh, system of things, which is what you're all involved in today. <laughs> and but they actually beat him with uh palm branches. And so he had all kinds of Levites and a lot of other people put to death and killed. So he was a ruthless dictator. And so anyway, that uh, if we look in Luke uh, 23, 2, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. Well, of course, that's not what Christ was saying at all, because if we go back there, we see that Christ was saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now, 
one of the somebody asked in Australia why were the people so amazed at his response of render therefore unto Caesar what the things that are Caesar. He he held up one of the coins. He asked them to give him one of the coins. And we have a picture of one of those coins on on the website. It's actually wasn't it's clearly was not the coin that Jesus held up because it's the Nero uh coin, Sesterces. But uh is which was minted after this particular point, but before the destruction of Jerusalem. But it was is very similar. And if he held it up, he says, Who whose inscription is it on this coin? And uh in other words, whose image because that's what they do, is they put a living image a image of a living Caesar on the coin. And of course these coins are usually minted at the Temple of Mineta. And there he's holding this up to Pharisees who make a big deal out of graven images. They shouldn't even touch that coin. <laughs> and so but anyway he's holding this up and this kind of entraps them. He's reversed the game. He's entrapped them. He says, Whose image is this on the coin? And uh and that image was uh Caesar's and it says we'll give to Caesar's what is Caesar's? Because you really couldn't pay your your uh sanctuary tax, your sanctuary uh shekel uh, with Caesar's coin. You had and this is where the money changers come in, you have to pay it with the coin of the realm. And so you would have to use uh the the drachman or drachma uh double drachma which is a silver coin equal to a, a what you know well, I won't go into all that it's on the website it just confuses you but the point is is that both these coins were tribute one to the government of god and the other one was to the government of men so yeah you have to pay tribute but now the problem was is that the only required tax was this little dime-sized coin that anybody could throw in for you on your behalf. And you were in, you were registered as part of this system of social welfare. But remember, the system of social welfare for Israel was voluntary. Free will offerings. There was no entitlement. There was no guarantee that anybody would help you out. And what that did, and I didn't talk about it right here. I've talked about it many other places. What that did was it allowed for a moral criteria for your charity. So that if if you paid in year after year after year, and then suddenly you fell on hard times because you were cheating on your wife with this bimbo, and... And she wouldn't have anything to do with you. And you'd been beating your kids for 10 years. And and they wouldn't have anything to do. They were grown now. But they wouldn't help you out. Because you were a ruthless uh, brute. Now, and your floozy abandoned you. Like the guy on uh, Snopes. (laughs) And all these immoral activities now leaves you out in the cold. You don't get to collect the Social Security check from the Levites. They don't, they, they can cut you off because it's not an entitlement program. It has incorporated a moral criteria to your charity. 
In other words, we're not going to buy you whiskey if you're an alcoholic with your government check from the government of the Levites. You're going to have to get sober. You're going to have to change your ways because we're not going to guarantee you a comfortable life of sin. And it's built in now that leaves a lot of discretion amongst the ministers of this system of social welfare. But you'll be amazed at how industrious people will get when they realize that if you are slothful, the only one's going to help you out is Caesar. Caesar will pay you. Your social security, your welfare, your, you know, aid to dependent mothers, they will pay all those things no matter what kind of moral character you have. You can have multiple wives as a Muslim and, you know, uh, you know, marry this woman, divorce her, marry another woman, divorce her, marry another woman, continue to live with all three of them as a Muslim and collect welfare from all of them, plus all the children that they produce, because see, they're, they're on, uh, they're on government subsidy. I mean, this actually goes on. And I don't want to pick on the Muslims. We can go, a lot of people do the same thing, the deadbeat dads. The guys who don't take care of their children. And they get a check, that somebody will take care of their check, the government will take care of their children, because they are not taking care of their children. That's not a good thing. That's a bad thing. And so, therefore, you end up with a society that has so many broken homes. Why are all the, all these broken homes? Why are all these people divorcing today? And if you go back 50 years or 75 years, we didn't have that. You know, the, uh, it was only about 3% of the children born in the black community were raised in single parent families. Back at the turn of the century, just just a few decades away from slavery. Uh, only 3% of the children were raised in single-parent families. As a matter of fact, when the blacks were slaves, they were more likely to be raised by both their parents than they are today. Far more likely to be raised by both their parents. You know, most slaves ate and slept in the same house often at the same table as their masters. Most slaves, that's the way it was. We have the picture of these giant plantations and all these slaves living in hovels and all this kind of stuff. And certainly those did exist. They existed for the black slave owners. They, The, the black slave owners' record of treating black slaves is as horrendous, if not more so, than the whites. But I'm sure you can find the horror stories everywhere. Because men are horrible to each other. But they are also men that are good and merciful with each other. And exactly where that line is drawn, that that it takes more than a, a casual examination of a history book to find out. Now, God allowed Israelites with lots of restrictions to have slaves, but he also allowed divorce. That's not God's plan. God allowed that through Moses. But God's goal is that every man be free souls under him. Now, how you get there depends on how diligently you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right now, because you've been slothful in that way, you have gone under tribute. 
more so than probably hardly any other time in history, far more than Tsarist Russia and many of these other nations. We'll talk about how you get out of that when we come back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. In John 3, 1, 11, or 3rd John, 3rd Epistle of John, uh, chapter 1, verse 11, it says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Well, that seems to be to me, a contradiction of the idea that all you have to do is say that you believe in Jesus and then you're saved. And even if you sin, I actually have a minister who says that you cannot sin once you're saved. So what is it when they're doing bad things? That's not a sin? Well, you know, because they're saved. It's not, it's it's already forgiven because they've accepted Jesus. Well, that just flies in the face of John. It says, if you do it evil, you have not seen God, and you are not saved. You say you believe, but you believe in an image of Jesus in your own mind. You're not saved. You're fooling yourself. You're delusional. You know, and so, you know, you're, you've, you've listened to, to false teachers who've brought you into a world of corruption. And the way of corruption, not the way of life. And so anyway, you need to turn around from that. Now, one of the last books of the Bible, of the King James Bible, before you get to Revelation, is uh, Jude. And Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. And called. So he's talking about those that are called. Preserved in Jesus Christ and called. He's really talking about the ministers there. Now you you all may be saved. This, being a minister is a specific job that was assigned and appointed by Christ to preach his way and his word to others but also to facilitate a daily ministration that is based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. And Jude is writing, Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you And exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So he's talking about striving again and this contending and everything that they should do this. Not just believe and then go on their merry way praying to men who exercise authority one over the other for their benefits. 
at the expense of their neighbor and and their neighbor's children and grandchildren. We need to we need to take a look at this with a great deal more serious. Now, there's only the one chapter in Jude, and it's a uh, it. But I wanted to bring up one particular quote, which you see in Jude one eleven. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam, for reward for benefits, and for the wages of sin, really, and perished in the gainsaying of core, where the ground opens up and literally swallows them up. And they are swallowed up in a way of thinking that is contrary to the ways of Christ. And we should do a whole study, I should do a whole series on Jude and go through that verse by verse and take a look at that. But I quote that particular verse and I set it aside in a quote on on the page, pay tribute. And uh, there's links there to the heir of Balaam, what that is, which is actually the way of the Nicolaitans. Same thing. It tells you in the Bible that they're the same. It correlates them together as if they are the same thing. And the heir of the Nicolaitans has nothing to do with a guy named Nicholas. It has to do with what that word means in the Greek. They just don't translate it. The conquered people. You're the conquered people. You're the ones under the tribute of Caesar. Instead of the tribute of God. You don't pay tribute to God. Most of you. You may pay tribute to ministers who have led you away from the ways of God. Because they make you feel comfortable on the weekend. And you call us a cult. How in the world could I be a cult when I make you so uncomfortable and I chastise you and I rebuke you? It's because I actually love you. And as many as I love, I rebuke. I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm here to encourage you to stand up and seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness by telling you the truth that you've gone the way of Cain. To the city-state of Cain. And you pray to the city-state of Cain. To take care of the free bread of your society. But the Christians did not eat at the table of Caesar. They put a knife to their throat. When Caesar offered them benefits. And they took care of one another. Through the Eucharist of Christ. Through the free bread of Christ. Not with crumbs of bread. But as a body of Christ, they took care of one another. Because those who ran greedily after the gain and rewards of the systems of Balaam and the Nicolaitans became merchandise and cursed their children with debt and bondage. And that's what people have done. Now what cult is going to tell you to do that? And then offer to show you how to gather as free souls, not under my direction, but under the direction of that God who's writing upon your heart. Tithing to the minister you choose according to the service he provides to you and your congregation and to all the other congregations he's linked to. Because he has sat down in those symposiums, in those companies of ten. And fifties and one hundreds. Now what are the, what are the side effects to that? 
if the system were to break down, you would have that network that you could go to in hopes that it would take care of you, pay your light bill, pay your power bill, or provide you with shelter, or provide you with food, or, you know, those that had shared with those that did not have enough. That's from Justin the Martyr. That's He's telling you how the kingdom of God worked. And he told this in a letter that he wrote to the emperor of Rome, explaining this is how we do it. We know how Rome does it. Rome does it where you sign up, you have to pay in. If you don't pay in, men will come and force you to pay in, even put you in prison if you don't pay in. And then this money will go into a common treasury, which the Jews call Corbin. They had another name for it too, but they actually use the word Corbin and translate it treasury in the New Testament. And that's your sacrifice. It's a compelled sacrifice by force. It's by men who exercise authority one over the other. That's the way you've gone. That's the way of Balaam. That's the way of Cain. That's the way of Nimrod. That's the way of Caesar. That's the way of Pharaoh. But the way of Christ is you do this by faith, hope, and charity. And the perfect law of liberty. That's the way of Paul. That's the way of John. That's the way of James. That's not the way your preachers are leading you. That that preacher that was hired by a local church who wasn't even waiting on the people, didn't care about the people, wouldn't even care for the very garden outside of his house, made the people come and wait upon him and take care of that garden. And eventually they replaced him. I think they've replaced him with another guy. They still don't get it. Yeah, you, as as the people, you get to pick your minister But he's not your employee. He's Christ's employee. You tied to him according to his service. Now you can see, okay, he gets all the tithe. And you get to see what he's doing with it. Is he padding his own house? Is he uh, hiring servants? Is he uh, uh, padding his own bankroll like you see in most of the churches? Or is he turning around and giving it away? And if he does a good job, you give him more so that he never is short. That is the kingdom of God. It's a different spirit. It's a different kind of minister than the ones you're used to. And it is hard to train up men in the ways of Christ. I I I have great sympathy for Moses. I have great sympathy for John the Baptist. Trying to teach people the way of Christ. The way of coming together to serve one another. This is what you're supposed to be doing. This is how you're supposed to be living. This is how you're supposed to be working one with each other. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company. And shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil. For the Son of Man's sake. Well, that's if you were living by faith, hope, and charity, they would cast you out. They already exclude those who comply with the commandments of Christ, which we show in great detail in the Free Church Report. We've been going through that study, and we will continue and keep uploading the audios from that study which probably not going to get up on time at the rate I'm going. <laughs> I only got a couple hours sleep last night. Haven't had breakfast yet this morning. Because I don't depend, you know, entirely upon your contributions and your tithings. I have to make a living. 
And as a matter of fact, much of what I make in living is what I use to go out and help take care of other people because people still refuse to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and live by faith, hope, and charity. And therefore, they will not receive the loaves and fishes of Christ until they do. And I tell you that because Christ says I must tell you that. I will not see most of what it goes on in the network of congregations. I do not need to see it. I don't have time to see it. You know, we have the the email network. Everybody can join the email uh, email network in their local area. And then they can start connecting and forming a living network of congregations. Free assemblies. No cult. Just free assemblies. And they can start learning how what it means to take care of one another and, and provide for one another. And they may go through a few ministers in this process. They certainly should rebuke one another in this process. But most of that charity I won't see. And see, we have, we have people gathering in congregations that are helping one another or starting to, starting to learn the ways of Christ and starting to understand things more and more. But if you're just on the email network, you will not see that. Because you're not in a living network. You're expecting somebody to send you an email to entertain you. You know, when I sent out this article, I saw some people were responded and everything. It was very informative. Well, I didn't write it to be entertaining. I wrote it so that you would repent and seek the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness. Gather in congregations and actually start taking care of one another. That is the reverse of a cult. That is the opposite of a cult. That is loving one another as Christ loved you. Because you gather together to serve one another. And and you realize that service actually is service one to another. It isn't, the service isn't to make you feel good. That's not why you go to church. To make you feel saved. Make you feel righteous. It's to be righteous, to do righteous, to care for one another. That is why you gather one with another. And that is why Christ came to teach you how to do that. So this is why in Matthew 6.33 it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I'm not going to add them. Your congregants aren't going to add them. God will honor them. He will add them. And he will hear your voice because you seek that kingdom of righteousness, that kingdom of charity. Matthew 25.32 Two, it says, and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Don't be a goat. Be a sheep of the Lord. And until then, you may have to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things which are God, which will leave left, less left over for you. But that's how you get the blessings of God. Paul, when talking to the Corinthians, he said, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean things, and I will receive you. 
That's 2 Corinthians 6.17. Many people use this single line to justify not paying Caesar and even dishonoring the vows of their fathers when they went into bondage to Caesar. Paul was talking to the Corinthians as if they were his children and telling them to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers because we were not to have fellowship with unrighteousness. But the fact is you do have fellowship with unrighteousness. It's not satisfying. So like the unchurching people, you got to go out to some pizza parlor and all get together and, you know, kind of party with each other and and makes you feel like you're a real group. But you're not actually taking care of one another. You're still going to the men who exercise authority if you want any benefits. That's not the fellowship of Christ. That's not the fellowship of righteousness. You know, the, this, the word uh, in that particular verse that we see as uh, fellowship with righteousness is only used, uh, it only appears once in the Bible. The word in the Greek is metoche and has to do with sharing and communion is from the word meteche, metecho, excuse me. And, uh, so this, this, the normal word for fellowship is konionia, which is like koine, which has to do with, uh, well, it has to do with a number of the, it also has to do with communion, but more in the sense of uh, community and association. The, the Greek word metecho specifically has to do with partaking as in eating of the same table. So, how in the world can you stop eating at the table of this impure religion, this public religion, if you do not gather together? How can you you stop that? Do you stop that first and then gather together? Or why not gather together and start learning how to do this? How to set the table of the Lord one day out of the week at least. Maybe two days out of the week. And then we'll get up to seven days out of the week. Paul's talking to his his friend Erastus, who was the public treasurer of Corinth. That's that's what his name was, Erastus. He was trying to influence all of Corinth to switch to a system of Corbin that would make the word of God to effect because it would depend on free will offerings rather than the covetous system of social welfare dependent upon force. And that's that's what when he was talking to the this public treasurer of Corinth, this is what he was trying to do, is trying to get all of Corinth to go this other way. And at times they would have to bring in help from other Christians to help them make that transition. But he had to start somewhere, and that's why Jesus, back with the loaves and fishes, commanded that his apostles. People were already hungry. People were already short of food, to the point of fainting. And, of course, uh, Jesus was not expected to feed everybody. The apostles were not expected to feed everybody. Jesus just asked the apostles, how much do we have? Well, they only had a few loaves and fishes left. They were going to be without 
And they weren't getting anything from the people, and the people didn't have enough to begin with. Jesus said, command the people to sit down in these companies upon companies in ranks of 50 and ranks of 100. That took a little bit of time. They finally sat down in that. Then Jesus took the food that he had to eat for him and the apostles, and he gave it away to other people. And suddenly they had enough. What do you think happened there? They not only had enough, but they had extra. What do you think happened there? Well, let's let you pray about that for a while. Wonder what happened there. Paul understood that if you make an accord according to the ways of Belial and the Nicolaitans, that a particular pattern in your society is going to take place. Paul is trying to teach the whole nation the perfect law of liberty. This whole nation of Corinth. This perfect law of liberty. Of doing this through a voluntary system of giving. Why? Because then you can apply a moral criteria. You, you Remember the weightier matters that Jesus talks about is that each of you have to be concerned with law, judgment, mercy, and faith. So mercy's in there. So somebody says, okay, I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to start taking care of my family. I'm going to start working. I'm just going to stop being slothful. And so you help them out. You have to have somebody on the ground making sure that he stays on the straight and narrow. This is why we have a whole system where we talk about uh, addicted to aid. You're addicted to the system that was in Corinth before. And now you have to create the system that Christ taught, that John the Baptist taught, which was a voluntary system of charity. That same word we see mentioned earlier, love, is the word for charity. So when your churches are actually starting to take care of all the social welfare of your congregation, starting to work in that direction, and not depend upon the rewards of Balaam, and the Nicolaitans, and the benefits of Balaam and the Nicolaitans, then you will be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So if that is being a cult, then that is being the cult of Christ. It is giving you choice back. Cults take choice away. What the system you're in now has taken choice away. I know guys who are liberals and and believe that they should have elected Bernie Sanders as the president of the United States. And he seems, he just hasn't quite connected the dots yet. Because when his own children, who were becoming dependent upon him, helping them out all the time, he had to say, no, you have to get your life in order or I will not help you. I will not pay for your car. He could have paid for their car, could have paid their bills. But he says, you have to get sober. You have to tend to business or I'm not going to help you because I'm enabling you. He knew that. The government doesn't do that. (laughs) The governments of the world, they want you weak because you're easier to manage. You're easier to control. They don't care that it's destroying your life. I care. 
I care that the ways of the Nicolaitans and the ways of Belial and the ways of Kor are destroying your life and the life of your children and the lives of your unborn children. And and until you care about it enough, the hand, the blood of the innocent is upon your hands. So you have to turn around and go the other way. You have to sit down together and care about one another as much as you care about yourself, including your children and your unborn children that are yet to come. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.